And this is different than anything, any clinic around. Workouts that are tailored for her, and that really makes a difference. Really personal. I've gotten way more mobile, stronger, flexible. Just everything just improves me to the next level. Welcome to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast, where we push sports performance and physical therapy to its apex. We change the game by bringing together the brightest minds in the field to offer best practices and question how things are done today. I'm your host, Mike Quintins, physical therapist and expert in sports orthopedics. I'm living my dream and opened a clinic that unites all elements of sports medicine under one roof to drive recovery and performance outcomes. What's happening, Performance Therapy Nation? This is Mike Quintins, your host of the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast. Today, I'm joined by physical therapists and two very close friends of mine, Stephen Vandenberg and Michael Keenan. Today, we will dive into the world of sports concussions and rehabilitation, and more specifically, what the research in an ever-changing field is telling us what best practice is today. Steve and Mike are from the region, having graduated from Thomas Jefferson University. But first, I want to take a moment to thank you, yes, you, listening right now, for showing the podcast some love by subscribing and leaving five-star reviews. I can't tell you all how much that means to me, so please leave the five-star reviews and subscribe. Mike Keenan has been working in outpatient orthopedics and athletic training since 2008. Mike earned his BS in athletic training at Duquesne University. After a few years in the field of athletic training, he pivoted towards physical therapy school and decided to attend Thomas Jefferson University. Mike is a specialist in vestibular con conditions, including uh, sports concussions. He is American Institute of Balance, or AIB, trained in vestibular rehabilitation. Steve Vandenberg has been working in outpatient neurological rehabilitation over the past six years. Steve is a PT supervisor and treats everything from spinal cord injuries to concussions. Comprehensive science major from Villanova University and followed that by attending Thomas Jefferson University on the 3 plus 3 program to earn his doctorate in physical therapy. Steve is an impact, that's with the lowercase m, trained physical therapist specializing in concussions. Emory trained in vestibular treatment as well. So those are two of the best vestibular programs around. Uh, I'm hearing from you too. And uh, this is really, really cool and special to me because uh, we're all very close. Uh, I worked with Mike for a number of years, some of the best years in my life working with Mike. And Steve was in my wedding. Uh, also having you two graduated together uh, with my wife. So uh, <laughs> I've seen you we've seen each other through good and bad, mostly good. And uh, so let's dive into this. Uh, these two right here, I have no qualms about diving into this with these guys because they're two of the best vestibular therapists I know. Whenever we get together, we dive into concussions and we get nerdy real quick. So uh, let's get into it, guys. Thanks for, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us, brother. Yeah, this is cool. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, this is awesome. All right. So first question first, what is a concussion? Is it a traumatic brain injury? Is it its own category? Uh, I've heard it called different things. So, uh, Steve, you want to start us off? Sure. Yeah, well, the simple answer is yes, it's a traumatic brain injury. Um, we try to 
um, classify them on a spectrum from mild to severe. Um, and most of what we see in the sports realm is would be classified in that mild category. Um, but I think that what that's what makes this you know population uh, unique to work with from my perspective is that varying level of uh, presentation and severity. Yeah, I would agree completely, and probably uh, as Steve would agree is it's only mild for the people that are diagnosing it. Uh, when you're dealing with something like that. It can be everything on that spectrum. So what are some of the symptoms? Uh, and again, we're going to start real low level on this. Sure. We're going to build from the bottom uh, and work our way up. What, what are some of the symptoms you would tend to see in someone with concussion, whether in the clinic or on, on the field? Sure. Yeah, I think if I could kick this off, I think the, the, the first place to start is that uh, no two concussions look the same. So it's easy to, um, to say X, Y, and Z. But really, uh, it could be a combination of X, Y, and Z, not X or Y or Z. Um, so, you know, depending on what methodology uh, and, you know, practice you come from, um, specifically in my training through impact, we look at like six what we call uh, clinical profiles or uh, clinical trajectories that highlight different categories that we should be aware of. Um, the first being the vestibular system. And again, and I'm sure we'll dive into a little bit later, PT is just one piece of the puzzle to this. Um, you know, there's roles that everybody from patient to parent to coach to sports med doc play a role. Um, but those categories that I follow through my training are um, the vestibular system. So looking for dizziness or unsteadiness, imbalance or blurriness with head movements. Um, there's the ocular system or the visual system, difficulty reading having trouble tracking moving objects with, their, with somebody's eyes, cognitive or fatigue, difficulty in school, trouble with, you know, exertion, um, like getting back to working out, post-traumatic headaches, um, you know, those unresolving headaches that just seem to linger and are constantly there. Um, the cervical spine, and we can dive into that a little bit later, and I think uh, Q and Keenan, I think you guys can shed a little bit, a bit more light than me. And then the last category is... Uh, that anxiety and mood category that like psychology services can really step in. I know that was long winded, but no, that, that's it, a huge part. Yeah, I, I think I think what you, what I take away from that is I mean you just spoke for like almost a minute about these, the symptoms, right? I mean yeah. you dove into the different categories and symptoms, and I think from my perspective now these two know a ton a ton more than I ever will about concussions, uh, but but that right there paints a great picture of all of the symptoms that someone could deal with. And that's why it's so hard to diagnose. Uh, and that's why it can be difficult to treat and assess and determine who's appropriate for what type of services, right? So um, let, let's get into this part next. So those are the symptoms. Uh, what do you, in, as physical therapists, what do you see in the clinic? Like what comes to see you guys at work tomorrow? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one, Mike. So unfortunately, you know, by the time they see us in, in clinic, and Steve could probably relate to this, it's probably been longer than they should. Um, usually that's one of the hallmarks with, with at least sports-related concussion, probably along with motor vehicle or workmen's or anything else like that, is that the initial is, you know, rest, right? And that's kind of been the old standard of care. And we know we know that that no longer is the case. Um, but usually by the time that they're presenting to us in the clinic, it's been several weeks. You know, they've had to maybe see their primary doctor. Maybe their primary doctor sent them for a neurocognitive test or, you know, unfortunately some people are still doing, you know, imaging or something like that. So usually it's delayed. So by the time they get to us, what might have been more 
concrete or finite symptoms have kind of spread a little bit. Um, and like Steve said, with that, the, the mood and the psychological aspects, they start to take in more because when all you've done is rest, 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 stay away from your normal activities, other things change. Yeah, so your threshold is now lowered. Exactly. For, for, for exactly. Your tolerance for certain things has, has now changed. Um, but usually, you know, the, the hallmark, getting back to your original question, the hallmark of what we're seeing coming in, headaches. Like Steve said, difficulty tracking objects. If there's a student athlete, difficulty in class, can't look at the board, can't, you know, participate in class, concentrate on more than one thing, uh, memory disturbances, trouble sleeping, um, can be sensitive to light or noise. So those are the, the primary symptoms that we're seeing. And that's just, you know, the, the sort of uh, the cognitive uh, aspects of it. Then you talk about the neck pain. Uh, then you talk about balance deficits and all that other stuff. Yeah, then, sure. then there's a motor, a motor component to it. And we're talking it could be one, two, three, yep. eight, nine, ten of these symptoms presenting to you guys in, in clinic in the right. field. Yeah. So research actually supports that too. Exactly what you just said, Mike. So it's important that whatever professional, uh, whether that's healthcare professional or parent, it's important that we can try to dissect what those components are. And that's really what makes, um, concussions for me personally, and I'm sure Mike can relate to this really challenging and exciting is trying to dissect those pieces. Um, but yet, challenging and difficult at the same time because being able to dissect those pieces can be a, a little difficult. Um, I think it's important to note that, um, you know, like Mike said when he first, um, when he first answered, th this is changing and it continues to change and research continues to push that forward. And I think this platform that we're, you know, on cue, you know, therapy performance podcast and changing the landscape of, um, you know, sports performance, it's important to recognize that things are changing and we need to stay ahead of that curve. I, I, yeah, let, uh, I, I couldn't agree with that more. This is uh, so far been about, you know, sports medicine and, and performance and like things that we can see. Concussion symptoms, we, like we can't, some of them, we can't see someone is struggling. I mean, you guys have a keen eye for it, but uh, someone may be diagnosed with a concussion walking the hallways and I mean, you, you can't see it, right? Coaches can't see it. Uh, parents can't see it, that athletic trainers. Hopefully they're, they're picking up on this stuff. So um, all right, how do they happen? Right. So sports, how does it, how does it happen? Does it have to be a direct trauma to the head, uh, mouthpieces? Uh, go ahead, fellas. So not necessarily direct trauma to the head. Um, you know, it's the, the coup counter coup brain slamming around in the cranial vault uh, can be from a direct head impact. Okay, or it could be from an impact to the body that results that force being transferred to the head. Um, and that's why it, it is so very, you know, variable, right? Like, I think, uh, you know, this is kind of as a personal side, we're seeing potentially more of this stuff because we're getting better at understanding it too. But you also have things that, you know, you work on here in the sports performance that people are bigger, faster, stronger, right? More forces are being delivered. So where it could have been just that, you know, the head impact, now we're seeing a lot more forces with a lot you know, greater of an impact. It could be from a, you know, a, a, a hip tackle, right? And a guy gets knocked down and you're still getting that impact to the head. I, I say this all the time. Uh, yes, we're bigger, faster, stronger. Like all athletes are, at, especially at higher levels. The structure of the human body hasn't changed, right? Like the components of tendons and ligaments and the brain and the skull, like they haven't gotten stronger or more durable or, or less uh, sure. 
you know, less uh, vulnerable or susceptible to shaking. Exactly. There's <laughs> sure. not more space in there. You know, <laughs> right. that hasn't changed. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's how concussion happens. How does it get diagnosed? Give me like, I, like a normal situation, sure. the average situation. Yeah. So let me take a step back from that just, just for a second. So I think after that seemingly harmless injury on the field, you know, um, in the hallway at the classroom, you hear about a, you know, disturbance with a classmate. I think it's important to listen to some of these signs and symptoms. You know, whether you're triaging as a parent or as a coach, it's important to listen to somebody feeling like, hey, you know, I just feel a little dizzy or I feel a little bit off. And that should really raise a, raise a flag to maybe walk down that path for assessment. Um, yeah, no, I, I, and that's kind of what I want to get into is, okay, the trainer's on the field. Uh, hopefully a team doc is there too. I'm not sure what the, the rules are, at least the PIAA. I believe, uh, you know, at all, at least football sporting events, there has to be a team doctor present for one of the two teams. Uh, so, so okay, so what happens? They hit on the field, the player's down, or maybe they're walking off the field a little queasy. Uh, same thing happens with maybe basketball. So so you're, you have, you're an ATC, Mike, so yep. fill me in. So, um, you know, fortunately, uh, hopefully now, as things are progressing, uh, an athletic trainer should hopefully be available for all the sporting events. I think that the, the team physicians are definitely there for football, basketball, um, but maybe not some of the, um, you know, far-ranging sports uh, or smaller activity sports. But um, anyway, so athletic trainer should be able to spot that, um, whether it's contact, you know, whatever it is, um, spot the signs, like you said, the initial kind of unsteadiness, or they just don't look right. Maybe they look confused. Um, you know, most of the time, I would say, you know, in, in what I saw through the years, if somebody gets hit and they're down, you know, we're going to be able to see that and assess them. It's not so much a hit, and then we don't see it. Now, there is cumulative impact, which is a whole nother, you know, we could go down that path at some point. Maybe we'll have to do volume two here. <laughs> Um, I like that idea. But, uh, but yeah, so we, we, you know, pull them from the field. Um, athletic trainers have the uh, lawful duty to pull the athlete from the field. Um, and then you do a online or a online, a uh, on-field assessment. Yep. Uh, and there's a bunch of different ones out there. I won't get into all of those, but uh, it basically runs through, um, you know, motor control components, uh, assessing cognition, things like that in short order. And then what you do, uh, you retest that in about five minutes or so, um, and depending on various factors. And again, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for any red flags because um, symptoms can be delayed, right? Like somebody could, you know, get the wind knocked out of them, so to speak, or get their bell rung was the old term. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, they come off, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Ten minutes later, they're not so fine. This is very, like, big picture perspective here. I watched the NFL. They got the blue tent that goes up, right, on the sideline. Are they in there for five minutes? When they're assessing concussions and the guy comes out and they're ready to go on the field, I mean, you guys don't have to comment on that if you don't want, but I don't think they're up there for, they're in there for five minutes. The next thing you know, the guys put their helmet on, they're going back out there. Um, I think something else I see on the field, uh, having played football for several years, I see like, like blinking of the eyes. Like they're like kind of doing this with their eyes where they're blinking them and they're trying to like get an idea of like light or I, I don't know. I feel like that's something too I've seen yeah, before. Yeah. Is, is that a sign to regain focus. They're having trouble focusing, whether it is, you know, initially, usually, you know, symptoms will develop as it goes, you know, time goes out, but yeah, they could have trouble focusing, sensitivity, light, anything like that. Um, just trying to, you know, clear themselves up, trying to pass a test, right? Like you want to play, you're trying to pass the test. So you're going to do the, anything in your, in your power to do so. Okay. So they do the, the on-field test, wait about five minutes, repeat the test. 
at this point, the trainers determine that there's a chance. And if there's a chance, that's enough to, you know, keep this athlete out of the rest of the game. 100%. Okay, what's the next step? Educate the parents, uh, coaches. This is where I feel like personally, and I definitely want you to, this is still in your ballpark as the ATC, but this is where I feel like we really break down as uh, healthcare professionals, parents, the communication between all parties. I think this is where, you know, in addition to the on-field screening and pooling somebody, I think we still have a lot of hurdles to to navigate there. But I think this communication, as we talked before we started this podcast, about when to make that referral to healthcare. Correct, yeah. And, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. Stop me at any time. Um, But if, you know, in an ideal world, uh, you know, the athletic trainer's there. They pull the athlete from participation, follow up with the parents, obviously, if the athlete's a minor, um, with the understanding of, hey, 24 to 48 hours, take it easy, Okay. Um, if you feel like you need to follow up with a doctor, if anything changes from what it is like right now, please do. Uh, please do not hesitate to go to the emergency room if you feel like you need to. Um, but within that 48-hour period, should be reassessed by the team doctor, which usually is either a primary care physician or a sports medicine physician, um, and then go from there. Um, that's kind of where you're taking it from. You know, they get the assessment there. Okay, you know what? It looks like you're going to be one of the you know seven out of ten kids that's going to recover in seven to ten yep. days. Awesome. Now, this is, so hold on. Yeah, right here. And this is This This moment. Because, no, no, because this is where, and you you just said this secondly, Steve, I just want to repeat this because this is so important from my perspective, having coached football, uh, played football, and seeing concussions all the time that go mistreated, uh, and and then they come in to see you guys a month later, uh, and they want to get on the field tomorrow, so, uh, or on the court tomorrow, whatever it may be. All right, so the trainer says very specifically should – uh, this is what you do, right? You should see the team physician. What, like, where are we dropping the ball on this? Is it the team physician isn't available? It's a wait to see the team physician, or they just go their parents go their own route with the athlete uh, with their with their child, or do they go to urgent care? Uh, are they going to the wrong specialist? I guess is probably the simple question. Or are they going not going to a specialist at all? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a. There's so many, you know, it's, it's <laughs> sure. like an octopus, right? There's so many different things. I mean, the one thing, you know, if we're speaking of student athletes is that 24 to 48 hours of relative rest, like, are they going to school? Does the athletic trainer have the ability in that school district to say, hey, you're out of school for two days? Probably not. So then it's a communication with the nurse. Then it's maybe having to see their pediatrician to get a note to get them out of school. So there's a lot of steps that go into that. And at some point, you know, sometimes you say, okay, I'm just going to pull my kid out of school or send them back. And now all of a sudden this kid has a 10 out of 10 headache and can't see and he's going yep. to the nurse's office yep. right away. Mm-hmm. You, and then it starts to spiral. Yeah, personally I find that it's like a lot of parents are like, why don't we give it a shot? Why don't we try to go back to school and see how it goes? And it doesn't go well. Um, Wh- whose decision it, should that be? Should they see the specialist before they go back to school on Monday? And I, listen, and I don't know nearly as much as you guys do, so I have sure. no problem asking sure. the hard questions. And, and I don't expect that there's not always going to be a right answer. So I'll say that to you fellas. So I've seen the wrong decision happen too many times for me to say that if my child or one of my athletes was the 30% that wasn't going to heal, you know, that 20 to 30% that won't heal without intervention, I would want to get them checked anyway. I'd want to cross the T's and dot the I's and get them to the specialist so that we can make sure that they're not going to fall into that category. Tell me about the 20 to 30%. Can you guys tell? Because I've heard that before. Sure. Yeah, so um, what they've done, you know, what you look at with research is that 70% of the concussions will recover within that 7 to 10-day frame. 
right? Like, you know, they'll have symptoms, but they have relative rest. They go back to school. And again, that's part of the clearance protocols being asymptomatic at school, but they'll go back and in seven to 10 days, they're fine. Okay. And the only intervention, just to be clear, is relative rest. That's what I heard you say. Relative rest for the first 24 to 48 hours. Uh, and again, depending where you are, you might be doing relative rest that whole time, but they recover naturally without any other interventions. Yep, with gradual re-exposure as tolerated. Okay. Exactly. Um, and then like Steve alluded to, the other 20 or 30%, those are the people we're seeing in the clinic. Gotcha. And you go ahead, Steve. Yeah, this is where this is where I'm really passionate about because, I, you know, we can dive into the research all day, but I want to make this as uh, comprehensible as possible. Um, those 20 to 30 percent, if those are caught early, there's research to support that we can get them back to the field sooner with intervention. There's also research in that 70 percent that if go through assessment, do no harm to their recovery. Right. So if you see, I'm painting a picture here, right? There's, if you get a hundred percent of these people, if you get to us or get to the right channels, at least for assessment, we can say you have dysfunction or we can say you don't and we're good to go. Okay. So who should they see? Right. And, and insurance gets in the way of this too. Uh, I'll, I'll throw my two cents in on that. They may have to see their primary care doc first before they see the team doc who's a specialist. That happens sometimes too. So who is the, is it a neurologist? Is it someone at first or at urgent care or whatever, uh, urgent care, uh, CVS, Rite Aid, where, where, are you, where are you taking your kid? In an ideal world, you're taking them to a sports medicine doc that may or may not have training in concussion, um, which again is real hit or miss depending where you are and the access to healthcare you have. So when but, you say they may or may not, there's a chance that they may not have any experience in concussions. Obviously, you're looking for the ones who do have experience in concussions. Correct. Right? So sure, but that's not really that. advertised. You know, you're exactly. not going to pass an urgent care like, hey, we have con you know concussion experts here. Hopefully, the trainer, the, the ATC, can can make a recommendation on who they should. Who they should see. Exactly. If it, you know, if it, if it is sports related, that's at the school. They're going to have a relationship with a team doctor that's going to have training in that. And obviously, it, you know, it's 2020. Concussions aren't a new thing. Like we're understanding more and more, and, and more people are educating themselves, physicians included, that are very well equipped to treat those. Yeah, I, I'm, I coached high school football the last few years uh, as an assistant, and we had to take. I had to take an online uh, concussion. I had to manage. I had to manage. I had to, had to uh, spot the symptom of a concussion. On the field, so coaches are educated about it too, which is sure. pretty cool. It's, sure, it's uh, moving in the right direction. So, how soon after the di you know the diagnosis or the concerns brought up by the athletic trainer, are you taking taking that child to the, the right doc as soon as possible? In my opinion, it's as soon as possible. I think again, if there's if they're trained and well equipped to assess that situation, they're going to get to them within that twenty four to forty eight hour window. Now they're not going to be starting a rigorous exercise program to get them back to their, you know, baseline. So that risk within twenty four to forty eight hours doesn't exist for that initial encounter. Okay. If so, that makes sense. So as soon as possible yep. is is the answer there. And then the follow up would then be uh uh Okay, then what? What happens after that? So what is that doctor looking for? That sports medicine doctor in a perfect world, right? Experiencing concussions. What are they looking for at that first session? So they could be looking for a number of different things. Similar testing to what we do on field. Um, you know, various kind of balance tests, everything like that. What's What you were talking about with Steve with the little M impact testing, that's neurocognitive testing. Most uh, clinics, if they do offer concussion care, will, will impacts the big, a big one. Uh, we'll offer that where... 
usually now, and I think it's a law in the, in the state of Pennsylvania, I think with PAAAs, you have to have a impact test, uh, a baseline impact test. They're tossing those out now. But go ahead. I would, Are they throwing me, them tell out? Tell me what it was. Impact been, supposedly doesn't work anymore. Like it doesn't work as well. Like the, so there's like a, there's King yeah. Divic. There's a couple other ones. Yeah. There. Sure. Again, and I'm, you know, several years out of the, out of the AT run. But, no, yeah, no, no. but the concept me. is that they have to take a baseline test. Correct. At the beginning of the season to identify or not identify, but to, to uh, pretty much uh, exemplify what they should be at. Like their what baseline. Their, their baseline is right. Yep. Cog- cognitively. And, and then so we forth. can compare to baseline if there's a suspected concussion. Perfect. Yes. Okay, so that is done at that initial visit with the sports med doc. Again, you know, gray area, <laughs> right? But you know, okay. if you're Could seeing be. if you're seeing somebody in an ideal world, right? If we're talking ideals, yes, yeah, you know, get, that would be done. Yeah. You know, seeing him for you know seeing him for a concussion, you're going to get that you know repeat impact test, king, whatever test you're taking. So these doc, these docs and, and ATCs can be in these offices. Physicians assistants can also do some of these assessments. Are, are identifying the baseline values for some of the testing, similar testing, hopefully, that was done on the sideline uh, at, at the game where the incident occurred. Sure. Okay. And then a recommendation is made from there, typically rest, right? Is that, is that right? What, that's what it's been in the past. That's what yeah, it's been that's in what, the past. Been the past. And a, a lot of people, again, if they're administering these neurocognitive tests, they're up to date on the fact that the current recommendations are to 24 to 48-hour you know, relative rest and then reintegration to activity. Okay. And then, so at what point is there typically a follow-up a, a week later? And I don't expect you guys to know all this. Yeah. This is outside of physical therapy that they're not in the door with you guys yet. So what, a week later, come on in. Cause you're, you're not going to compete for a game that Friday, right? If you're playing Friday night, you're going to get a concussion Friday and then play the following Friday. We don't know. We got Maybe. Up. Okay. Yeah. So, that's, that's fascinating because it's four consecutive practices. Well, again, and, and we can, you know, take this full circle and say, and I'm sorry to cut you off, Keenan. Um, we can take this full circle. Your concussion compared to Mike's concussion can look very different. So um, are you that 30%? Can you play next week? I mean, maybe. And I think just to back up a little bit about that initial triage, that initial appointment with uh, sports medicine or that first healthcare provider other than the ATC, for assessment, it's going to be a combination whether it's those neurocognitive testing uh, items that Mike was talking about, or, but a culmination of subjective outcomes. Like, how are you feeling relative to baseline? Getting that from the perspective of the athlete and the parent. And then compare that against objective outcomes. Like, you do your tandem balance dance or have somebody with their feet close together, with their eyes closed, and they're swaying a lot, and they're a high level, you know, performer on the football field. You know, that raises some eyebrows. Sure. Yeah. And, and that way you have a baseline that you can measure from when they return to you and ideally to for clearance to begin a return to play protocol. Yeah. Correct. Uh, Correct. Yeah. And the, f- the first step in that whole return to play protocol is asymptomatic at school. Right. There's there's students first. Um, so they have to be able to go 24 hours without symptoms. And every step along that return to play protocol, you have to be 24 hours symptom free. To graduate to the next step. Okay, so uh, how does that how does that go in a sport like soccer, where there's a ton of concussions, and football, where there's a ton of concussions? So they're actually participating in the practice. What's it four consecutive practices? Uh, so four they wouldn't be participating yet if they're in the true return to play protocol. They're not participating just yet. Then what are they if doing? they're held out, yeah, well, correct. So. Yeah, if they if they're entering into that, um, you know that there was a significant result on the neurocognitive tests. 
doc says, you know, you're diagnosed with a concussion. You have to enter that. You have to be 24 hours symptom free at school first. Yep. Then you go into exertional activity. Okay. So, he, okay, they're, so they're running. Running. They're, yep. Okay. Yeah. You could do it. You could bike. do a, you know, weight room, you know, whatever it is. Okay. 24 hours symptom free. Okay. If you don't, if you gain symptoms, you just have to repeat that step until you are symptom free. The following day. Correct. Yep. When they're symptom free again. And again, back to the research a little bit, they keep coming out with more exertional assessments that we can really objectively assess this. See, you know? uh, th- and to me, objectively assess this. Yeah. Objectively assess it. I'll say 20 times. Like, that is everything. Because now we can say, this is what the research says works. That's why we did that test. I didn't have, run, have them run two 100-yard sprints and say, okay, no symptoms? All right, you're good to go. Like, we, we have an right. objective test that right. works. And But the research can only take us so far. You know what I mean? I think utilizing that to change the game, right? Start. Let's Here's the on-cue platform. Let's <laughs> change the game, right? Yeah. So how do we use that exertional assessment early to identify that 30%? So can you give me an example of uh, any exertional assessments? This is where Steve, yeah. Oh, gosh. Funky with it. I know. I'm this so passionate good. about this. Yeah. Just because it. I feel like this is where, you know, the miscommunication is. So, you know, you're that sports med doc. Or you're that parent that isn't sure and wants to, you know, wants to be sure, wants to cross the T's. Get them in with a therapist if you can advocate for that. And we can do what's called a Buffalo concussion treadmill test. Again, that's through what I've been trained and through the research that I found that it's a stepwise exertion test on a treadmill, preferably a bike if they can't handle the treadmill. At each minute, we increase the demand from a cardiovascular exertion standpoint see what their heart rate can get up to. If they become symptomatic, we have an, a, what, what we quote-unquote call an exertional threshold and that we can start to, you know, if, if positive, if we find dysfunction, we can start a treatment paradigm from there. Yeah, at minute six, at this intensity or this at RPM. At this heart rate, we take 80% rate. of that heart rate and we, we initiate a program. And that's where you are in the return-to-play protocol. So, so just like we talked about with programming in some of our previous sessions, you know, I've talked to Jordan about programming. There are like objective measures that we use and that's what we're going to focus on. Sure. And that's where we start things. So, so that's what you're saying we have yeah. in, in, the, in the Buffalo concussion treadmill test. Yep. All right. And, and again, that's, that's you one. You do that ASAP. Yeah, that, that's Is one for the aerobic component that we have vestibular ones. Okay. Like, and, you know, balance has the best test. You know, we have vision. Um, measures too. So, you know, everything in physical therapy, right? We need to be able to measure it and objectify it. And we have all those. Sure. So, so Steve is 100% right. And I, I think breaking the mold, and I think one of the biggest pieces for this platform is to be able to educate and to be able to change that, what the current situation is, and change it. Is it, well, the current situation isn't always the best situation. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, like, there's a lot of uh, barriers to that and a lot of obstacles, and we, we see them, whether sure. it's insurance or or big networks or whatever the heck, but this is, a, I'm really happy we're doing this because we're, we're talking about research now. So, so that's... And make sure we touch later on. I know you got it on your script, but make sure we talk about how we highlight some of the risk factors to prevent concussions. Exactly. But yeah, let's, ra- let's wrap up with that because I feel like we're, yeah, we're, we're, on, we're on to something here. So uh, they come back a week later. They missed one game. Uh, we talked about the return to play. Uh, and then so they go through those tasks, right? So one is tolerating exertional activity what are they what are they doing after that they participate in practice and then yeah, eventually non, they get cleared right non-contact non-contact practice contact practice and then you go from there and then as long as they're asymptomatic you know through, throughout the entire process they're good to return all right so uh i'm part of the 30 percent 
that didn't get better a week later. I go back to see the doc. I don't feel better. I haven't even started the return to play protocol yet. Uh, I end up at your office. You're doing all of these assessments that we just mentioned, right? So we have vision, we have vestibular, we have exertional, Neck, exertional, you're looking at musculoskeletal anxiety. Yep. Okay. So, so, uh, are all physical therapists trained to treat this? You want to take that, Steve? Or you want me to take I, it? I'm not trained to treat it. I know. I'm. I know. <laughs> I'm smiling behind my mask over here. So smile with your eyes. Yeah. Steve. So, I mean, as generalists with a PT license, we can. Sure. You know. Um, but I think it's, you know, on the accountability and the ownership of the therapist to be able to highlight their weaknesses. So my answer is no, but the state of Pennsylvania answer is yeah. Okay. All right, so uh, then what is the next step? You identify their deficits throughout these, these this various testing, and I can take how long in the session? An hour, uh, yeah, two hour, hours? Hour, hour and a half, depending on, you know, how, how long this individual has been going through the process, right? Thorough, subjective, you know, really understanding, because, again, it is they're not walking in with a cast on their arm, right? You know, it is a, an injury, the invisible injury. So really diving into the subjective complaints because – not only, yes, you're going to get the objective measures, but you really got to address each individual session each day. Hey, where's your symptom ratings? How bad is your headache? How intense is that sensitivity to light? You know, going through a thorough so subjective. How, how do you right. manage these? Uh, and, I, and I think I already know the answer, having worked with Mike for a few years. Uh, how do you, there's so much education about how do you manage the symptoms when they walk into the clinic day one and thereafter? Oh, gosh. Yeah, the whole thing is surrounded by education. And that's really where we need to be better as, you know, clinicians, um, both from the healthcare side and from the uh, parent coach athlete side is really understanding what's going on. But I think first and foremost, understanding that l I'm going to try to get orthopedic with you guys. So bring me sure. back down to earth because this isn't my world. Um, but like a sprained ankle, right? You take steps on that sprained ankle and your body's telling you something, ouch, ouch, every step, that's hurting you. That's Your body's telling you, like, maybe ease up, ice, elevate, compress. You know, when those symptoms, whether they're visual, headache, neck, dizziness, if those symptoms, and generally our rule of thumb is two points, if those change two points with any activity, we're usually saying, hey, you know, take it easy. Your body's trying to tell you something. And, and the metaphor is, you know, elevate your ankle, but we can't do that with our head. So we, so we rest. So the two points are a zero to 10 scale, right? And you, and when they walk in the door, you're getting their baseline. So let's say, you know, how bad is their headache or dizziness or whatever their primary symptom is? They give you that number. And the rule for that session is that you never exceed two points beyond that number. Is that correct? Yep. Well, how do, you, how do you do it? For Steve? my clinic, it's a little different. That's my education for when, uh, when a patient leaves. You know, if you're shoveling snow and your headache goes from a two to a four, stop, you know. So how, would you, how would you do things in the clinic? Yeah, so in the clinic, I might push that a little bit if I'm trying to test somebody's exertional threshold. If, I, if we're floating two points and I, can, and I can maybe manage three, but generally two to three points is where I'm staying within a session. Exactly, and you're learning that over a session or two. How quickly do they recover from yep. that? You know, if it takes them 10, 15 minutes to come back down one point, you're probably not pushing yep. that three like Steve said. Yep. But if they're coming down in 30 seconds, Absolutely. You have a little bit more leeway. And that's really, I'm glad you touched on the two point rule because that's so empowering for patients. They come in and all they've been told is rest, rest, rest. Yep. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. I tell them they can do everything they want other than hit their head again. Just keep it within two, two points. Two points. You know what I mean? 
And it really just, it helps them. Like Steve said, the biggest part of that, you know, uh, pie chart or Venn diagram that he has there is, uh, is that the, the mood and the psych component of all this, because that is such a huge factor. I'm happy you touched on that, fellas, because that's a big part of what we do as physical therapists. I think we get, uh, you know, uh, the reputation of, you know, stretching and, and, you know, instructing on exercise and assessing and, but the psychological component of what we do, empowering, you said, you use that word. I love that word. It's you, that, that, that's sure. everything. I mean, you take a, you take a athlete out of playing, playing their sport and their life's changed. Oh, that's a huge factor. Okay. So, so treatment, uh, let's go along this treatment path a little bit. So you're pushing them to their threshold saying within that two to three point rule at that point, whatever will help their symptoms reduce back to where it was uh, at the beginning of the session is the goal. So maybe it's resting, maybe it's lying down, whatever it may be before you progress to the next uh, intervention uh, exercise could be balance, could be uh, on the treadmill, could be vision therapy, could be a number of things, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think uh, the you know, token phrase that I like to use is uh, quote unquote piecemealing our therapy, you know, spend 15, 20 minutes working exertion, spend 15, 20 minutes working the vestibular system balance training, you know, the ability to quickly turn your head and stabilize and fixate on an object sometime, you know, during vision therapy. Now, it needs to be said that, you know, maybe one clinician can't, can't do this. And it's imperative that you rely on your resources, whether that be with your clinic, through other healthcare pro- professionals, like, the clinic that I'm currently in, we have a vision therapy department and we're very fortunate. And I know a lot of, a lot of places don't have that um, availability. Um, so really being able to understand your limitations as a clinician, but identify the need for the patient. Exactly. Steve. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more vision, it, like having that vision therapist. I know Q, you were talking to this, uh, another individual on your podcast, the team approach, right? Like you got to bring in, you got to yeah. know what you know and know what you don't know. Right. Sorry, I don't. I well, stole that's it from okay. Ken. I, yeah. Shout I was out actually Ken. just going to oh, mention that we 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 talked about like like not knowing everything and networking, so you have resources that you trust, and that's that's a great example. So I'm really happy you brought yeah. that up, Steve. Yeah. I think a therapist is only yeah. That podcast was awesome, by the way. Yeah, that <laughs> oh. was good. I, I'm not sure who uh, Dr. Ken Clark is, but I kind of want to meet him. He's Westchester University. Shout out. I'll be here next Monday. Stop by four o'clock, five o'clock. <laughs> Speed um, session, Steve. <laughs> I could get faster. <laughs> Everyone could get faster. According uh, <laughs> to Ken. All right. So, so, all right. You go through this entire process. How many times a week are you seeing this client? You know, I guess it depends on it depends on the yeah, intensity. just like you know, just like any physical therapy programming, right? Like you got to assess their individual needs. I would say, just as a kind of a just a general, um, if I'm seeing somebody, it's usually two sessions of vestibular based therapy. Uh, in the clinic. And if vision is an issue, which there's been very few cases where it hasn't been, they're usually seeing vision once a week. Okay. So it's usually three, yeah. three total sessions working on the stuff. And the biggest thing is, you know, we're working with brain rehab here. So it's retraining or helping out to improve reflexes, right? So we can't just do, it's not like you come in and lift weights one day and you're like, I'm going to be huge in a week, right? You have to train over and over even more so than traditional strength training or anything because you're training reflexes. These things need to be perfect and automatic. So it's really important that, yes, you're in clinic two to three times a week, but you're doing this two, three, four, five times a day, whatever is appropriate for the patient. So, so more education on what they should be doing at home. 
Right. Definitely. Oh yeah, they play. I mean, the patient client themselves play a huge part in the recovery. Not to process, mention yeah. their influences, right? Parents. Oh yeah. Uh, coaches, maybe. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of get them people. involved in the treatment. Absolutely, I, I love it. All right, so uh, this is what I want to dive into, and I know like Steve's jumping out of his seat with this. Well, Mike's hitting the table over here, getting all excited. I love it. Foot's been tapping the whole time. <laughs> Has it? <laughs> it feels like it. Um, camera so I'm so nervous all right wh- what are we doing wrong what do we need to be doing better like wh- what what is the research telling us or in your experiences uh like what phases and I know we talked about the communication uh so give me a second to think about this we talked about the communication and how that's a huge piece of what we're doing and correct what else can we be doing better uh should everyone go to therapy in your guys opinion because research did just come out saying that if everyone goes to therapy you either do no harm or you're going to improve quicker in turn, saving healthcare dollars in the end, saving healthcare dollars. Uh, that, that's interesting. Everyone goes to therapy and we're saving healthcare dollars. So that, that's just an interesting thought. Uh, dive into it. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, there's a plethora of ways to answer this question. I mean, <laughs> I want to first start by saying, I think an area that we can improve on is return to learn. I think that's one area, you know, and, and again, I think there's a way that we can highlight risk factors and something that uh, Mike and I have talked about personally in the past that I'd love to dive into here. But the return to learn, right, there's CDC guidelines for return to play. Getting, a, getting an athlete back to the field as quickly as possible, which I, no doubt, that's so valuable. I think equally or more valuable, getting somebody back to the classroom effectively and efficiently Hold on. Let me get this straight. Again, I'm outside perspective. Don't know nearly as much about concussions as you two. The CDC has guidelines for a return to play for an athlete or for someone who's suffered concussion to return to sport. However, there are not guidelines in place for them to return to school for a brain injury. So I think there are to be the short answer. Is I think there are, but again, this is I, how, how vague are that? How the- yeah, and that's I think that's where the breakdown is. I think it's a lack of clarity, you know. And I think there's easy, objective ways to get somebody exertionally to return to play. The objectivity of return to learn, how gray it can be, um, is really where we run into challenge issues. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Keenan. I think there's, I guess, a clearer way to make an unclear situation is I think an area that we could do better at. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, there is definitely, there's not like a, you know, I think it was, um, there's clear return to learn, return to play guidelines. But like Steve said, you know, how do you measure somebody's ability to return to learn? Are you looking at their grades? Mm-hmm. Maybe. That might be one objective measure. But for the most part, you're relying on subjective symptoms, right? So that is a huge gray area, right? You gotta, you you know, you trust that most people want to get back to learning because that should be the precursor, the first step to resuming their athletics or whatever it is that they enjoy doing. Uh, but sometimes that's not the case. So that can gray it up a little bit in terms of, you know, how hard are they really trying to get back? Are, are, are their symptoms what they are? You know, what are their motivations type of thing? Yeah, so, um, so it seems like the return to learn is... It's well, ta- and it's I think, challenging. you know, going off of that, who, the person assessing the return to learn issues varies from, you know, school to school. Is it the guidance counselor? Is it the nurse? Is it the teachers? So I think sound education 
in the school-based system, in communication with the healthcare system is, you know, bridge the gap. Should it be, should it be the athletic trainer? Should the athletic trainer do an assessment Monday morning after a concussion Friday night and determine that the athlete is uh, the student athlete is ready to go back to class? Uh, is, is that appropriate? So that's what I, that's what impact trained us as who takes that responsibility most often, but it's not clear. They're most familiar. I would imagine more familiar than a guidance counselor would be if that's Correct, but then Beautiful. it all comes down to each individual school. You know what I mean? So, like, so some schools might have a full-time staff athletic trainer that also teaches in their PE department. Okay, yeah, go see, you know, Mr. Mrs. So-and-so in the morning. Have them take a look at you. We'll, we'll determine it from there. I would say a lot of people don't have that. So then it, it comes down to the education they get, you know, at that game, like you said, Friday night. Hey, take it easy Saturday, Sunday. We'll reevaluate you Monday. You know, if you're asymptomatic, nothing going on go ahead and see how school goes but follow up with your nurse sports med doc they can, i mean why, why not yeah. I mean, so yeah i apologize as if i made it unclear that the cdc didn't have something regarding return to learn they certainly do but i think the implementation of it unlike return to play is more challenging and something that we need to do better at sure okay uh what else do we need to work on uh in this process should, should everyone go to therapy uh well let's start with this first uh, a point person that th that the athletic trainer can point to and say, "This is who you should see for your concussion." Correct, one hundred percent, and that should be you know a sports med physician, somebody who hopefully has training in concussion. How, how about the sports med doc? I've heard docs in this area like volunteer to do this as a part of their uh, affiliation with the school. I'm going to put clinic hours in your training room Monday afternoons. At, you know, first like. Monday, like every Monday afternoon, I will be in your clinic for two hours. Whoever's injured, I'll see, treat, uh, recommend x-ray, MRI, do, do a concussion assessment, whatever. How do you feel about that? I love it. When I was working out in Pittsburgh, we had that it's on Saturdays, right? So, you know, Western Pennsylvania, football's huge, right? Everything's going to happen after football. So Saturday morning from 9 to 11 was open clinic. You know, all the kids that had come, no insurance needed get in there, get seen, no excuses. Wow. So it's doable. There's, there, is yeah. that, there is that answer. Absolutely. Resources and really resources. That's what it comes down to and willingness to actually do it sure. if it's awareness of best practice. Sure. So, so a point person to see that's ideally sports med, someone who specializes, a physician that specializes in seeing sports-related concussions, right? Okay, then next step is obviously have a plan in place with objective measures that they can assess at that session and then be able to reassess down the line prior to return to play, which I feel like most, if not all, are doing impact testing, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, aerobic conditioning, et cetera. Uh, and then... And Let me pause you there. Yeah, please. I don't know. I mean, I have... How do I say this? I feel like sports med physicians are getting press, more pressed than pressed for time as it is. You know, to do a robust concussion battery takes a little bit, you know, takes a little bit of time. And I'm not, you know, questioning the efficacy of a sports med appointment, but I feel like tapping into resources early has shown improvement. We know docs at, uh, in this area pretty well, and they have ATCs as their assistants a lot of them who see concussions awesome. and uh, they're the ones who are doing a lot of this, a, a significant amount of the, the battery of testing 
to, in the in the shadowing I've done in this region, and please comment on this, Mike. Uh, the the physician comes in after the testing has been done, and we'll dive into some of the subjective information uh, and questions, and then look at the results of the test and make a decision at that point and have a discussion and education with the parents. What am I missing? No, that's exactly right. And, you know, I would say nine times out of 10, uh, from what I've seen too with shadowing and everything, if that individual, that athlete is symptomatic still or the scores haven't gone back to baseline within a week, they're getting a referral for vestibular therapy. Or if the school is fortunate enough with an athletic trainer, hey, you need to go see this person and you're, you're doing your vestibular rehab there or your post-concussive rehab there. Um, so yeah, that, that's the nice part about when they are seeing it, it is getting referred, but I think we go circle all the way back to what's our missing link. How can we be better? How can we make it better? It's the understanding of that initial point person, which should hopefully be like that sports medicine, uh, physician or somebody trained in, in concussion management. That point person needs to understand it's not, Hey, just rest for a week and we'll see you. You know, that's, that's old school. There's been four concussion you know consortiums that have come out mm-hmm. now saying it's 24 to 48 hours then get back to you know get back to life type of thing so um it's i think that's where the, that's the big breakdown is right there it's who you see and what they're telling you and if we can get more people to understand that it's 24 to 48 hours barring any other medical issues obviously 24 to 48 hours you're getting back to your to your normal lifestyle while continuing to follow up with your medical team you guys are painting the picture, and I'm happy to hear the perspective that you guys are outlining, but you guys are painting a picture of the ideal situation, that they're into sports med early. And a lot of the patients that come that, you know, where I work, that's not the case. You know, a lot of the parents and coaches are left to try to answer those questions themselves. So having an understanding, I think, back all the way to when we started this, what to look for, understanding the, <coughs> excuse me, the signs and symptoms of a concussion is going to be extremely valuable as an advocate for yourself, for your son, daughter, you know, athlete that you work with to be able to say, hey, <coughs> this isn't quite baseline. We need to get this checked out. So uh, this is just me going on, on a quick aside, and I'm with you 110% there, Steve. I think if I'm a parent and I have my uh, son, I think, suffered a concussion and they're showing some of these signs and symptoms and I'm listening to this podcast – I think, okay, I need to find me a sports med doc. Uh, what do I do? Do I Google it? I would honestly, I would call, here's you know, public service announcement. Call your local physical therapy office. Who, who would you recommend who, who treats concussions, like a physician uh, or, or a, f- a specialist of some kind that treats concussions? Ask them because every single PT clinic, at least around here, can name at least two to three physicians that treat concussions regularly. I think that's a huge deal. So what to do next? You identify the symptoms refer out uh, or to find a physician or a sports med doc, ideally whoever who specializes in concussion. If you don't know who that is or how to find that person, ask your ATC or call a local PT office and find out who they recommend. I'd be more than happy to recommend physicians uh, for, for that. So um, what else do you want to touch on there, Steve? Anything else? Uh, I, I know you're passionate about the, the 70-30 sure, uh, yeah. deal. I think, and I want to touch on manual therapy and, and concussion yeah. treatment as well. I, th- I think the, you know, I have, as a PT, I need to advocate for our profession, right? And I think that early referral, if I can't paint that picture enough, if even there's, you know, and I guess maybe this is a P- 
PSA for some of the sports med docs or some of the docs in urgent care, hospitalists in the ER, you know, primary care physicians. If you're suspecting a concussion, that early referral to therapy is extremely valuable. You know, to be able to help assess, you know, implement that battery of assessments to try to highlight, is this that 70 or is this that 30? So you agree with that? What are your thoughts on oh, that? Oh, absolutely. And also to, you know, I'm going to keep tying back into this because I just see, think it's so important to help that individual or that parent, um, you know, make them rest assured that, hey, things are like, this is treatable. Like this yep. is going to be okay. You don't, you don't have to feel like this. So that whole mood and psych component doesn't spiral out of control day by day, hour by hour. And oh, if I didn't say this earlier, like, so the research to support early intervention is there. The research is also there saying without intervention, recovery can take longer, you know, as to Mike just pointed to, whether that be from a psychological standpoint, a visual standpoint, et cetera. Unfortunately, that's what, I mean, that's what I saw in the clinic when I was working closer with you, Mike. I feel like a, a, a lot of the cases, I shouldn't say majority, a lot of the cases were like, like chronic post-concussion syndrome. Like the, the like these kids were yeah. like, yeah, I had two in this amount of time, and I, like I've had that ringing in my ears, or I've been sensitive to light, or I haven't been able to watch a complete movie sure. uh, in in months. I, I think some of that comes back to a little bit of mismanagement. You know, maybe somebody didn't tease out the vestibular component, or somebody didn't tease out the the neck component that's relating to some of the ringing in the ear. If, if they did go to therapy, did they did they do everything they were supposed to do? Did we finish exactly. this off right? It's like finishing your antibiotics when you're sick. Like you don't just take the antibiotics until you feel better. You finish the antibiotics because that's how things become resistant and analogy. get worse. Right? It's a good analogy. Same yep. thing. Same thing here. Exactly. All right. So. Uh, so I want to dive into a touch more of the 70 30 uh, intervention. If you believe it's appropriate, if there are symptoms that you feel like can be treated in the PT clinic, just to be clear here, Steve, uh, as, the, as the referring physician, do you, would you recommend it? Would you recommend a PT right away? Or would you wait that week to see if rest alone does the trick? Sure. And I know a lot of sports med physicians, uh, you know, that I've worked with in the past vary in their perspective on this answer. So as a PT, you know, I think myself understanding that I have X, Y, and Z tests to accomplish. They pass those tests and I don't need to intervene. I have the wherewithal to say, you don't need to be here. We have, how many sports med docs? And I know you got something to say about this. How many sports med docs or what percentage of sports med docs? And again, I'm talking about concussion management, uh, know that we have tests to assess and determine if it's appropriate for them to return to the next step. I'm sure. Do they, do they know that? I mean, I hope so. We're, we're going to get a roundtable here. What, like, I'm serious. Yeah, so. that, I mean, that would be uh, awesome. My is, answer is no. I don't think everybody knows that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, again, the, the education factor of it needs to improve. Again, bridging the gap, right? Like that. It's usually, that's, you know that's on the front of Mike's clinic. I think it's on the second window where it should have been a picture of me running. Yeah. <laughs> it says bridge the gap. You weren't going to get that over Mel. No shot. <laughs> um, so... To, to like cycle back to that um yeah like there's definitely there's definitely a uh a gap of of understanding you know person to person about like you know the appropriateness to referral and everything like that and in terms of like what we test and and how it continues from us we go back to that return to play protocol right 24-hour symptom free in school uh exertional exercise you know stuff like that we're that second phase of it you know they need to 
we're going to work with them when they're still symptomatic in school and everything, and they got to get through us to be asymptomatic in school along with asymptomatic with our exertional tests, right? Like passing Steve's uh, Buffalo treadmill test, passing the best test and all the different uh, visual vestibular tests that we do. Then they still have to go back to school to get, now they're working with their strength coach or their athletic trainer or their, or their coach to do the non-contact stuff and getting and, back and into And you've it. So discharged the them at this point? Correct. Right, okay. so they're still not. We don't discharge to the field. We yep. discharge to that yep. care at Great the school. Great point. Great point. And Mike. then, our, yeah. and then, what's our role in communicating with the the, the next step, right, uh, in the continuum of care? What what do we do? So, are you saying once we've discharged them? Yeah. So, so the, the, your job is now completed, right? As a physical therapist, uh, how do you feel about communicating to the athletic trainer? Uh, that's going to be doing the next steps or the strength coach that's going to be performing the next steps in their, in their continuum of care and maybe even the point person, the sports med doc. How are you doing that? Should you be doing that? Oh, absolutely. Everyone should be involved in that. Um, like you've alluded to before in you know, this episode and other ones, um, you know, they need to, everyone is, has to be part of that athlete's care team, right? From the referring physician to the physical therapist to whoever they're going to be returning to, whether it be the athletic trainer, whether it be the coach, the, the strength coach, whomever, um, everyone needs to be informed along the way. Hey, this is where athlete A is at. You know, now it's, you, you know, they're, they're ready to clear for you. So you got to do whatever you need to do to get them back on the field. Yeah. I, it, how important is that? I mean, the trainer knowing where that, that student athlete is at in their care and where like to pick up right where you left off uh, and then take them down their avenue that they're experts in. And not to mention the physician is now in the loop, so they're like, okay, now we know what we have to do next. It, it's an easy step for cohesion of care and one that often gets overlooked. I mean, how simple? Yeah. A text, uh, an email, a phone call. A little I mean, progress note. A progress, like a simple, just like type your normal note that you always type and hit fax. Exactly. Really that simple. Um, I'm going to go I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that physicians would be more likely to refer out, like you're talking about, Stephen, I know I keep going back to this because I think it's so daggone important, man. I think it's so important that these kids get care. I call them kids. Student athletes, uh, professionals, whatever, get this care immediately. Uh, and if they have someone they can trust. Like I was speaking to a doc about this the other day, and he brought up the research, actually. And I was like, that's funny. My, my buddy Steve is like a nerd with this. And we sat down the one day and you brought the research article with you. You're like, I'm ready to talk about it. I don't know anything about it. And, and I told him what you had said. He's like, yeah, that's what this research was saying. And I, I'm, we're friendly. I put him on the spot. I'm like, so what are you doing? He goes, oh, I don't know if I have anyone I, you know, I can send to. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me, right? Like, yeah, Mike Keenan's Mike's down here. the road. He's here. Yeah, like, why, why not? He's like, well, I, you know, I never, I didn't really think about it. I'm like, you thought about the article. Like, you, you knew, you know, so I, to me, I think, uh, we got to get in their ears, guys. Like we have to advocate for ourselves, but we also have to know when it's appropriate to refer out. You know, I think that's the other thing with vision therapy. You know, like yeah. I have a strength conditioning coach here because I'm not. I mean, I have a CSCS, but I'm not a strength conditioning coach. Like I'm. That's not what I'm. Sure. That's not what I'm best at. That's what Jordan's best at. Sure. That's why I send to Jordan. So same thing with this. Like we have to be humble enough to know when to refer out, uh, but we have to be. We have to be proud enough. Uh, we have to be confident enough. Yeah to tell these physicians, listen, this is what we do. These are best practices according to research that we're exposed to. Why do you do what you do? Like, why, why do you refer at this point? Why do you wait? It, it's okay. They should be, you're, not quite, you're questioning them, but you're, it's healthy conversation. 
Thoughts? Exactly. Yeah. There should be no no egos in patient care. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's all it's all it's all for for the patient, not for us. Especially when you're dealing with kids, like like athlete, high school sure. athletes, college athletes, like the psychology. Like, there's so much to this, man. You had said earlier that you wanted to touch about manual intervention. So let me uh, let me make that transition for you real easy, real Thanks. quick. So I understand that you know as a, a clinician that has worked primarily in the neuro setting, you know manual therapy to the cervical spine isn't my bread and butter, and I know that. So if that if somebody comes in with a you know whiplash associated disorder like concussion symptoms that and everything is pointing to the neck you know what I, I think you need to go to my colleague because this isn't really you know and i think understanding that and having that accountability is how we push this needle yeah what, what are your thoughts on this mike i've seen you treat a thousand concussions and uh you do manual on a lot of them if not all of them yeah i mean you got to think you know that where the head is attached to the rest of the body, right? So a lot of that, we and this is going back to the beginning of our conversation, right? You know, it's not maybe just a head trauma. It was an impact to the body that translated to the head. So some significant force went through the neck to get it to the head. So I would say, you know, probably 95% of the people that I see, I'm going to at least look at the neck, you know, if not treat. Um, and I would say 100% of the people I look at the neck, 95% treat. Um because especially if it's chronic, absolutely if it's chronic, there's been, you know, just like with, uh, with an orthopedic condition, I'll refer to Steve's uh, ankle sprain uh, analogy. If you sprained your ankle and you sprained it over and over and over again, you're going to develop a different gait pattern, right? So even if you don't have ankle pain and you're coming in to see, you know, somebody for hip pain, well, where did that really come from? Oh, you have chronic ankle instability because you've had this sprain. So now your gait has changed and it's going to change the force impact on your hip. Well, you get the same thing with the neck to the head. So if somebody's had chronic symptoms or anything like that, I am 100% looking at the neck. And a lot of times things can resolve with treatment just to the neck. So they're avoiding, a lot of these patients are avoiding and turning their head quickly or turning their head to end range, right? Uh, moving their eyes uh, to end range, so which also in turn most of the time involves moving their neck, right? So if they're limited in th those motions or they self-limited or limited in general physically in those motions, chances are they're going to have some degree of, of restriction, soft tissue, or joint in their neck. That's where we come into play uh, as physical therapists and manual physical therapists, that we can address those soft tissue restrictions in the neck that can lead to headaches themselves. There's such a thing as cervicogenic headaches, classification in cervical spine injuries, right? So, so there's a, an indicator right there that we should be looking at the neck. And research says in looking at the neck, you should look at the thoracic spine before you even touch the neck. So how many PTs are actually looking at like thoracic spine mobility with, with their concussion patients? Yeah, just little orthopedic pearls that I'm throwing into all Girl. this right here. So uh, let's assess thoracic spine because research says that we should treat thoracic spine before we even touch the neck. The first visit, don't touch the neck. With someone who comes in with neck pain, that's wild to think, but that's what the research says. It's, it's interesting. So what else is the research saying that we're missing? I love the manual therapy piece. I think that ties everything together. Uh, yeah. Shoot, shoot, Steve, what, what else you well, got? This might be a touch tangential, but valuable nonetheless. You know, my question to you two, right? Who's taking a look at the neck before the season? Who's taking a look at, you know, vestibular function and visual motor function before the season? 
Right. And cute. I mean, go down the rabbit hole of ACL prevention and the, and the risk factors that you can point out in preseason ACL step down tests, et cetera, et cetera. All of those musculoskeletal I, things. Yeah, I think I've touched, I talked about this in every single podcast I've done so far and Shelly's getting sick and tired of hearing it. Probably we did this screening at this high school, like preseason screening is the future. So I don't know if it's a resource issue, if it's a knowledge issue, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it, but we offered it to a school where Chris Conlon, a good buddy of mine, you've met Chris before, you obviously know Chris, uh, is the head coach of Strathaven basketball team. We went there, we did a preseason screening. Uh, Dr. Baxter uh, is their, their, their team doc. We gave him, with parents' permission, the information that we identified in the screening. We did nine movements. Uh, I did three, Jordan did three, another, uh, someone else had done three. And uh, so interchange over reliability, all that stuff. What we came up with was in each failed or mildly failed or completely failed test, zero, one, or two, we offered an intervention. Coach Conlin agreed to offer 10 to 15 minutes before every practice to do a dynamic warm-up, which he wasn't doing before, and to allow the kids to do their specific intervention to their That's specific awesome. deficit. That's so awesome. They experienced zero injuries. How many injuries? They had one a wrist fracture from a fall. And again, is that an abnormality? Sure. sure. Absolutely. Anecdotal, sure. Without a doubt. But I'm, and he like would joke around and text me all the time, hey, man, just won a playoff game. Thanks to you. <laughs> but like to have the whole That's lineup awesome. the same all year round. Like, sure. Like we need to be doing that. And here's the crazy part. I'm not thinking concussions. I'm thinking ankle sprains. I'm thinking eight, save the knee. I'm thinking, you know. Oh, Preventative versus reactive. Absolutely. Oh and you talk about healthcare dollars, like another way to save, be preventative. Yeah. Right? Like you just you just say you said zero injuries that year except for that freak one. Like think about potentially one or two surgeries. Right? If we're talking healthcare dollars, right? You just sure. saved I'm, all that. Right. Sure. So so tell me how we can do this with concussions. Mike and I were going back on forth on this recently and Mike has uh think let me speak for you for a moment mike has an issue with calling it concussion prevention um what should it be called mike which risk factor remediation <laughs> i guess right because like you know you can't you know they talk about like with helmet technology you can't prevent concussion right but you can control factors what steve is going to get into where these are heightened risk factors for this individual we can correct them prior to athletic exposures so that hopefully your risk is reduced, not preventable, but reduced. But right. Yeah. I mean, like an easy, uh, comprehensible uh, example is, you know, reaction speed, right? Hand-eye coordination. And we can talk about the some of the research that shows like batting performance. University of Cincinnati put out a, a study about how vision therapy improved batting performance. So we can talk about the whole sports performance side, you know, uh, in addition to this, but from a concussion standpoint, right? If you improve somebody peripheral awareness and the speed to identify an object coming at you from the side, imagine, you know, and I don't think the research is here, but imagine being able to avoid a hit that could have caused the concussion because you have better peripheral awareness or better depth perception. There was an article about neck strength and it's associated with, and it's association with concussions. So, you know, are we... Deep we, neck are, flexor strength and endurance prior. I'm happy. It makes me very happy to think that there are uh, professionals out there who are, who are looking at research 
to help identify risk factors that will uh, reduce the risk of concussions. Neck strength is a big one. Peripheral uh, visibility and reaction time to that is is another big one. Are there any other things that we should be looking at? Uh, How about like, how about something simple, like how to tackle the right way? Like coaches take care of that. I know like Hawk tackling uh, where I coached that, we got into that, how to tackle the right way, not to lead with your head. Uh, and how to, that's a big one. And then the other one is how about how to head a ball the right way as a soccer player. Like, like do soccer yeah. players receive instruction on technique on how to head the ball the right way? I, I don't know. Maybe should they? Is there a right way? I do not have that answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's I been don't a long either. time since I've been on the pitch. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I think this is uh, this is important special stuff that you know identifying these risk factors are, are there any other risk sure. factors and that we can be I mean there's so at? many variables you know concussion advance uh, I'm sorry like helmet advancement in football there's so many ways but if there's something you know tangible that a therapist can do whether that be through insurance or through you know private pay to be able to highlight some um, highlight some risk factors and again let's talk about it I like to say, I'll use Keenan's phrase, risk remediation slash sports performance enhancement, right? So Batting one, averages. One leads to the other. I mean, right? Free throw percentage, right? How you assess is how you treat, right? We, I mean, we do it all the time. So, uh, exactly. Yeah, th- another thing, uh, Q, that we were talking about, like balance, right? Like you're looking at that for your, for your ACL prevention program, right? Like we could take the that best test and do the same thing, which has been, uh, you know, validated for a concussion, right? So, that's a simple one, right? Just do, you know, put that in your pre-participation exam. Somebody fails it. Okay, we know that this is going to be a potential issue, so here's your intervention. Keep working on it. Yeah, to fail, you need normative values, right? Like a single-leg jump test. I'm giving away another pearl here. A single-leg jump test for height, doing it repeatedly five times is how I assessed it, and I, we videotaped it and froze it at max knee valgus when the knee goes in, and if it's over 26 degrees, there's a much higher, I forget the exact percentage or reliability on this, but much higher percentage of uh, uh, the potential for an ACL tear, right? So like here I am on an app measuring angles of the knee. I have a normative value I can uh, use to determine if, you know, there's a higher risk here. We we need those. We, Uh, I mean, we have one in the King Devic for reading speed and visual motor speed. You know, we have that and we've done that. You know, I've, I've done that, you know, pre-concussion and at the end of concussion rehab. Okay, here's your new baseline. You've fully recovered from this concussion. You're ready to go back to sport. Here's your new baseline. How do we get that new baseline better? So this has been uh, an awesome, uh, I use the word awesome too much, a really special podcast where we're taking uh, the knowledge that we've had, uh, that we used in the past, what was going on before, what's going on now, what should be going on, and like, like almost like, what are, what are we going to do about it, right? Like we need normative values uh, and we need tests to determine what these, like to, to determine the risk factors to prevent or reduce the risk of concussions. Uh, I, we got to do it. We need platforms uh, to, to do the research and we need to get the word out. I want, I want to do a round table. Uh, I'm not even kidding me. I got sports med docs here who see concussions. We get them on. I got ATCs. You're an ATC, but like one that's in a school. What are the challenges they're dealing with? Both you guys. Optometrists. I, I, yeah. All right. We need more tables. Uh, I'm in. What are we missing, fellas? We good? What else we got? Yeah, that, no. was, that was awesome. We really appreciate you having yeah. us. 
right. getting the word out. Volume two. Yeah. Hey, I told you guys this in the beginning. I'm I'm pushing this to you guys. This has been really cool letting you guys, you know, just like scream knowledge uh, into the mics. It's been it's been fun. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it, bud. Thanks for listening to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It would mean so much to me if you could leave us a five-star review so more listeners like you could get this important information. See you next time. <laughs>